And when I read that book at the end, trying hard to disprove that I have ADHD, it was like me, 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 me. Oh my God, me. Oh my God, crying me. Because it wasn't like, oh, you know, in certain circumstance or whatever. It was either, it was a yes or a no. And that's when I start to realize there's something here. And the more I talk to people, I'm hearing from the podcast, he goes, this is me you're talking about. This is the Beats Working Show. We're on a mission to redeem work, the word, the place, and the way. I'm your host, Mark Wright. Join us at Winning the Game of Work. Welcome to the Beats Working Podcast. On the show today, working with ADHD. It's estimated one in 20 adults in the U.S. has ADHD, and of those who have it, fewer than one in five know it. It's a statistic Andre Brisson knows well. He's an engineer from the Toronto, Canada area, diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. Since his diagnosis, Andre has made it his mission to help others. He started a podcast for high-achieving entrepreneurs with ADHD called The Impulsive Thinker, where he breaks down the latest science and resources on adult ADHD. I had a fascinating conversation with Andre. We talked about how you know you have ADHD, what to do if you're diagnosed, and how to develop strategies to deal with it. My biggest takeaways from my time with Andre are we shouldn't be afraid to explore the struggles many of us have had since childhood. We need to realize that knowledge is power and there is help and hope for those with ADHD to live a better life at work and at home. And also, this is important, we shouldn't be quick to judge others at work. It's possible that coworker or employee may be neurodiverse and with some questions, compassion, and understanding, we could turn a perceived negative into a positive. So Andre Brisson uh, is our guest today. And Andre is a podcaster. He's an engineer. He is a, uh, an ADHD advocate. Um, and I just, uh, it's super great to have you on the show, Andre. Thanks for being here. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Mark, uh, having this conversation. Well, so I've been binging your podcast, The Impulsive Thinker, um, and it's really fantastic. I've learned a ton. So Thank for you. those who don't know, Andre, you started a podcast dedicated to helping high-achieving entrepreneurs with ADHD because you have ADHD and you're an entrepreneur. So let's start at the beginning, Andre. What, when did you first suspect you had ADHD? And, and also, we got to cover just, you know, what is ADHD? Well, 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 I guess we'll, guess we'll start off. ADHD is otherwise known as Attention Deficit Hyperactivity uh, Disorder, um, which is misunderstood as people being inattentive, hard to focus, and you know, physically hyperactive and being distractible to other people. And it's the one medical or mental health condition that is diagnosed because it bothers other people. Hmm. Um, while the other mental health issues, it's all because it's affecting you, but... ADHD is diagnosed because it affects other people, and then how do you fit in to the greater mold of things? And in the end, it's just it's a different brain wiring. Um, so, to other people, we have a hard time. It looks like that we're having a hard time keeping maintaining attention, hard time focusing, can't sit still, and um, and there's another one that slips my mind because that oh, executive functioning dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of our planning ability, our ability to set goals, plan, and 
short-term working memory are highly affected. Mm. And that's misunderstood as um, inattention, lack of focus. Um, and to simplify right down, it's a different nervous system. ADHD brain thrives on interest, challenge, novelty, and urgency. If I have none of those four, it's very hard for me to focus. And the way I explain is I have to focus to focus. But if I have one of those four, it's easier to get motivated and doing it. And if I have all four, my God, off we go. <laughs> so when they say, it's like, our short-term memory is pretty poor. So he says, you know what? I did forget. I don't remember at all. And people just think you're lazy, you're stupid, and you can't think of things. So that to me, that's the simplified version. Or another analogy is... ADHD is a far is a hunter while everyone else is a farmer. Hmm. So, well, if you think Rick, about you know back back in our history, our evolutionary history, those um, those traits that you just listed would have been really good traits on the plains of Africa where our ancestors evolved, right? I mean, responding to to threats, um, creativity, uh, all right. that stuff. Well, well, here just go with the, that analogy of the safari <clears throat> or the savanna, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I'm always scanning the environment. I'm always looking around. So when I'm hunting, or in the old days, it'd be I'm always looking for something that doesn't fit right because there's an unknown threat. Mm. Well, today that's known as inattention. You're not paying attention to what's actually going on here, but I'm scanning for a potential threat. When that grass twitches, I lock into that grass and go, hey, is there a threat? Yes or no, and I got to make that decision quickly. So now I can't focus because I'm going from twitch to twitch to twitch. So, is that a problem? Back then, no. When you need those skills, that's why a lot of times in on the construction site, when nothing's going well, they like my skills that way. My inattention, quote unquote, my constantly scanning and putting things together, they like that. But once everything's calm and cool, they don't want you around because you're not fitting the mold anymore. So everything that's being seen as inattention, not being able to focus, not being able to sit still, because we need to be in motion, mm-hmm. not necessarily you know, doing exercise all the time, but constantly moving, being in, in the environment, that's not how the world is set today. We're farming. You sit down, do your work. It will come with time, right? The big joke is the ADHD farmer will plant the seed and then two days later pick up the seed out of the dirt and see if it's growing not sit there and wait four months later to harvest. <laughs> Andre, think back to your childhood. Did you know when you were a kid that, that, that your wiring was different, or when did, that, when did that awareness come about? I have always known I was not like everyone else. Um, I did things uniquely. I knew I saw things uniquely. The experience I had as childhood made me question a lot of things. And for me, and then that was understanding how people react and behave and did what they did. Um, but yet I was always told that's not the normal way of doing it. You should do it this way. And in, in the long, you know, ended up just kind of went with the flow because there was less negative attention on me that way. Even though when it came, when push came to shove, I relied on my own instincts to do things the way there's, I, that worked for me to solve the problem. In the end, I got the same result. It just wasn't done the way everyone expected it. Or usually it was done too quickly. Hmm. That threw a lot of people off. Um, and that just got worse, you know, start feeling more of an outlier and the outcast and more and more with time. And then even in the engineering world, like the professional world, it's traditional traditions, this, and 
when you come in and disrupt the apple cart because you want to think differently, do things differently, you really get a lot of pushback. Yeah. When you were in school, did you find it hard to study or did you find tricks tricks at, at you know, because you were obviously successful at school? Yeah. Uh, at 44, I was diagnosed with severe ADHD. And my psychiatrist looked at me and said, you should not have graduated university and engineering on time. Wow. You shouldn't have successful businesses. So I created my own systems and structures without realizing it. And a lot of that had to do was it wasn't working for me how you're recommending. So I'm going to figure out my own way. And I did. I figured out how I, I learned how I learn. And and then if I was very interested, it was easy for me to get into hyper focus mode and become an expert very quickly. Um, and the other thing, too, is also doing things without being seen. If you're told this is not the way you're doing it, I would do it away. Um, or I would just do it anyways. So I got a lot of trouble because I wasn't following the rules. It's not that I was disruptive to be a distraction because I was just being rebellious. It was, I knew this is the way I do it best, and I'm going to get the results. I'm going to get the marks. So why am I getting in trouble for doing it and getting the same results? Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to title this podcast Working with ADHD because that's literally what you've done for years. And and now what I think is so cool, you've dedicated yourself to helping other people in the same boat. Why was it important for you to start the Impulsive Thinker podcast, Andre? Well, the other, the other uh, misunderstanding with ADHD is one was you grew out of it. So as an adult, you don't have it. It was a kid's problem. It was a kid's problem. Um, and if you did well in school, you didn't have it. Um, so if you are gifted, like I was discovered, I'm, I was identified gifted, my kids are gifted, that comes with its own sets of challenges because your emotional maturity is lag is actually your actual age, while your intellectual, intellectual maturity is three, four years in advance, and your brain knows the difference. So there you get the emotional dysregulation, which emotional dysregulation is also a symptom of ADHD, um, which is not completely medically uh, accepted, but it's well known that it is. And that means essentially not being able to control emotions at the appropriate times or what? Yeah, because the ADHD brain feels emotions intensely. So a thousand times, 2000 times more than the neurotypical. Hmm. Um, and they come fast. It's like a Coke bottle. You shake the Coke bottle, crack the lid, it explodes. What happens two seconds later, it goes away. Because that has a lot to do with uh, your prefrontal cortex. That's your filter. So when I'm accusing you don't have a filter, it's right. I don't. The impulsivity makes me spit it out or gets the emotion reaction out immediately. Then my brain catches up saying, you know what? That was actually not a big deal, Hmm. but I already reacted. So that's where that difference kind of, you know, we get that impulsive, intense reaction. We need to react now. And then, oh, crap, that wasn't a big deal. But at the time, our brain saw it as a threat, right? Just like that, that hunter analogy, immediately reacting to a threat. Fight or flight is kind of like the f- scenario. Yeah. Um, the question, oh, doing well in school, can't have it. Um, also raised in an era where it was an embarrassment to be uh, having a kid in therapy or being identified as special mm-hmm. or different. Um, and then in high school, I got quite lucky. I got around the, r- the right group of people to study who actually kept me on track. And then getting in university, I really didn't. I 
figured out how I do things and learn, and I stuck to that. And I was around the right group of people that pushed me and were achievers. Mm -hmm. So that helped. Um, then got into my own, uh, <clears throat> the first engineering company I worked for, my only job. Um, that supported my undiagnosed ADHD because I was able to do what I wanted. They wanted to grow the place. They just let me run. Mm -hmm. they, they gave me the end result, and I just ran. And then once we got to that success, and then now we're stable, that's when I started getting into trouble. That's when they didn't want me around as much. That's yeah. when I was blowing up and wow. then decided I'll start my own company. You were a structural engineer, right? Is that your expertise? Yep. So buildings and stuff like that? Uh, buildings, but that's kind of boring. So I went into other different things like uh, work equipment, fall protection. Hmm. Most, But most engineers says can't be done. I did. Hmm. Uh, make, making decisions and uh, playing with the gray area, the regulations. So... Once I got to my own company with the team, then my executive functioning got challenged more. Trying, you know, becoming a manager, and I'm not a manager. Um, got into a bad partnership because I got bored. Undiagnosed ADHD. When you're bored, you create fires, so you can have that urgency and novelty. Mm. Um, so I, I had that bad um, partnership. Um, did not want, know what to do with light things. Were having kids really screwed me up because they really. The ADHD brain really needs structure. Hmm. So I would go head down, butt up, I don't know, uh, during the day, 12, 14, 16-hour days, go home. I can relax. No one was around except my wife. We'd be able to just relax, calm down, do a couple things, go to bed. And that was the routine, a nice routine of calm down. But then you got kids. You get home. They're happy to see you. They're bouncing all over. I was never be able to get that transition time. Yeah. So to regroup my emotional regulation bucket, that got in the way. So that was more taxing in the executive functioning skills. And that just built up, built up, and then what I call into my life tempest, where it really got bad, where my undiagnosed ADHD symptoms took over and ruled for a year and a half. So I'm still surprised I'm married. I'm still surprised I've got teams that follow me into the new company. Um, I was, you know, that was, I was out of my control, and I finally said I need to get help. Yeah. And then that's when the ADHD diagnosis came out. And so I did a lot of research. Um, went through the grieving process. Oh, great. I got a name. Oh, crap. That sucks. Um, feeling really sad, really blue. Then she's like, accept it and go. So I researched it. I'm a fact finder learner. So I dove deep. I think I read probably about 14, 15 books in three months about ADHD. Textbooks, too. And just realized how simplified it was and looked at it differently um, so I looked for a community, and the high-achieving ADHD entrepreneurs, we have a motivation. We have a drive. While a lot of other people, the groups I was trying to get into, they didn't have a drive. They didn't have motivation, and it was, like, I feel bad saying this, but it was almost like it was a pity party, and that wasn't me. Um, so I would try to find research for the high-achieving, and there weren't enough. There wasn't a lot of research. It was just, it's relatively new that high-achievers can have ADHD, and the challenges they have is quite unique compared to everyone else. And that's why, that's the long version of why I started the podcast. Yeah. To talk to other ADHD entrepreneurs, to share their story, their experiences, bring on smart people about how they can improve businesses or about ADHD so everyone can just get that understanding. But just like we were talking about offline, how people, once they hear it, they're like, oh my God, that's me. There's not a, oh, I'm kind of wondering if it is, depending on the situation. It's just like, it hits you. It's like, oh my God, you're speaking my language. Oh my God, you get it. Yeah. And, and I'm getting a lot of feedback along those lines. And I just want people to be heard. And we're there's a group. I get you. I understand yeah. you. 
That's so cool, Andre. And and uh, I want to back up just a little bit because I heard you say when you were undiagnosed for the first 20 years of your career as a structural engineer, yeah. your solution to dealing with ADHD is that you just buried yourself in work. And you say yeah. that that felt really good for the ADHD brain. Explain that if you would. Well, the, my one therapist actually told me what you did is I hyper, you hyper-focused on your career. And that's what I did. That's all I did. And it was a hyper-focus. Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples. So for me, I kept up the urgency by doing long days. And I always set up appointments very early in the morning in Toronto, which is an hour and a half or three hours, depending on traffic in the morning. But I want to be there before the traffic. So that means no matter what time I woke up, I was always late. So there's an urgency. I had to, it would get me up quick and going. So my days were always urgent, double booked, back booked, not enough time to go to the bathroom, not enough time to get to the next site. But that urgency just kept me rapid fire and keeping on top of things. And then the other negative thing that people don't realize, I figured out lately, I probably spend three, when I was doing those 12, 14 hour days, four to five hours of that day was spent making sure I was on top of all my files, all the bookings, all the, the pro, pro, program, uh, project files, mm-hmm. so nothing would be forgotten. So that's part of the ADHD is trying to keep on top of that, all that stuff without forgetting because everyone else seems to have no problems with. A lot of my day was spent overcoming my executive functioning. Yeah. And you deficit. felt like you, you felt like, okay, I'm working really hard. I'm providing for my family. I'm creating a future. And at, at, at the same time, the dichotomy is that you were, you were ignoring this thing that was causing you to just go all in and, and just kind of focus only on work, right? Well, here's the other thing, too, was when you're raised and you're surrounded by people that says you just don't know what you're doing, you're not doing it the right way, hmm. you know what? I believe them. I'm screwed up. I'm broken. Hmm. So I'm doing everything with guilt and shame. I'm, yeah. I have to do this extra four hours. Like, uh, come in two hours before everyone shows up so there's no distraction. I can do my real money work. And then I get distracted all day with everyone else's questions. And that's where I'm trying to keep on top of things. And then when everyone leaves for the day, you stay another two, three, four, five hours to catch up on anything you couldn't get on the day. You feel pretty crappy. Yeah. You start to believe you suck. Hmm. Right? Yeah. But now that I know it's my brain that's not working, it's not, it's not that it's not working. It's just the way it works is not the way society is set up and expects. And now what's wrong? And what I was creating was scaffolding and systems. So... Hmm. My boss was very happy that all the work orders were, were organized because I had a certain way things would go so that we knew everything would be invoiced properly on time, but they're all physical movements. So I was coming up with those systems so we wouldn't have to keep wasting time figuring everything out. So do a little bit here, do a little bit there as the pro- project was going rather than leave it at the end. Yeah. So little tricks like that, it was actually me compensating for those challenges, like a logbook. I have a logbook with me all the time. So I don't have to remember. So if I can write down as quickly as possible, it's there. It's logged. I don't have to keep remembering it, running it over. Right? So the working memory, um, let's take, you know, picture a shelf. You got seven marbles. Okay? That's seven items that's in your mind. So the the average person can hold seven to ten. That's why phone numbers are seven numbers. Hmm. Everyone can remember very easily. So an ADHD brain is actually five four to five or three to four. And at times I wonder if it's one to two for me or sometimes one. 
So when if I if I can only hold two things in my head, and you give me a third thing I got to try and remember, that other marble falls off the edge. Yeah, it's gone forever. So people accuse you of not knowing or remembering, or you're stupid. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's there's so much judgment, right? Come on, Andre. Right. Well, what's what's going on? You dropped the ball on that. Right. Yeah. And distraction's a big one. So my youngest daughter just diagnosed. She's inattentive. Go upstairs and go brush her teeth. Then she'll go in her room. You know what? She forgets why she's there. So she'll, well, there's a toy. I'll play with the toy. And then it's like, oh, no, you're, you're ignoring me. You're a bad girl. Right? Oh, I'm going to be honest. We were accusing that at, at a young age. Like, I was a father while I was undiagnosed, too. So, but then it's just, she can't. And you know what? And one night she cried. She cried in front of us. She says, I know I get distracted, but I don't know why, and I don't know how to fix it. So when we used to say, go, okay, go upstairs, clean your bedroom, brush your teeth, do a shower, come back down, do the dishwasher, boom. You know, after that, with her, it was one. We can only tell her, go upstairs, do the one thing, and come back, right? Now we've got success. Because after the first one, you know, if you rhyme off three things, the first two things are not in her mind. She's not going to remember it. She only remembers the last thing. When you were diagnosed, uh, Andre, finally, what was the treatment? Because I know there, there's really a range of treatment, right, in terms of, you know, no medication all the way to some really amazing medications that work. Well, what they say is the treatment's three things. Education is your primary one. Educate yourself about ADHD. Treatment, that be it therapy or coaching or counseling. And three is medication. So medication... I don't care what anyone says in anything. Medication is not a fix. Even for diabetes, it's not a fix that I have or anything else. Well, a lot of people use it as a crutch. Um, but medication is part of it. Uh, for me, it doesn't seem to work. Um, but for some people, it does work. Um, and in a way, the medication, in, in my mind, it's, it's a way to normalize you to do what normally is accepted for everyone. So as kids, you know what? The school system's set up that they have to follow the rules, so the medication in that case makes it easier for them to follow the rules because they're able to focus and, and sl- their brain slows down, really. That's the other thing with ADHD. Your mind goes at 200 miles an hour and doesn't stop. So when I try to go to bed, I try to s- calm it down a little bit so I can sleep because a lot of us have issues with sleep. Um, and the counseling treatment, if you're going to get therapy, everyone says, oh, no, you're treating as a mental health condition. is. And I agree it's not a mental health condition, but you need therapy to get over all those years or decades of the negative energy. You absorb that. You're, you're not broken. You're not stupid. You just do things differently. You know what, dude? You're just awesome. How can we deal with this trauma from the past and you can look at it differently? Because there's someone in there protecting you every time you get this threat. you got to deal with that. Yeah. And the education part is huge. It's just learn about it. Um, and what is ADHD and what it isn't. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the coaching out there is still about how you can fit into the mold. Um, and for some people, that's what they want to do. And I got full respect for that. Whatever you want out of it, get it. Um, and for me, it's how can I do this and still compromise with everyone else that I can still work the way I work, but at the same time respect other people's way they do work and just understand each other and each other's uniqueness, Yeah. right? My engineering company, I got two roles, vision, and when shit hits the fan, that's when I come in. Yeah. When things are going well, you don't want me to go in there because I, I'll mess it up. I'll find a new way of doing it. And then everyone's like, oh, no, okay, get out, get out, right? <laughs> so, so I hope so that you, answered it because sometimes it I go yeah. off no, to the... You don't, so you don't take medication now, is that right? No. 
Yeah. So, no. so what's the biggest thing that helped you in terms of after the diagnosis? What's the biggest single thing that helped you manage ADHD? Well, once I got a clarity and understanding what the strategies I did create and what reasons they were for, I refined them and I follow them. Um, and I'm creating new ones as I go. And then the more I talk to other entrepreneurs, um, my system does not work for you, Mark. Hmm. Part of it might. And that's what a lot of the coaches and the tools are out there. Even for the uh, neurotypical people, all these systems out there don't work for everyone. You know, take what works for you and then, you know, throw out the rest. So what, what works for me, part of it might work for you, but I work with you so I can understand your unique abilities, your unique strengths, what you're good at, what you don't like to do, and how you're, like everyone's ADHD is unique, right? And they say if you meet with one person with ADHD, you've met that person with that, you've only met one person with that ADHD, mm, yeah. right? And sorry, I'm not saying you have it, I'm just... Since I'm looking at you, it's you. <laughs> well, well, we'll cross that bridge in just yeah. a second. <laughs> so, you know, and that's where the thing is, the problem is everything is just set for a generic uh, generic way of doing it. If you don't do it the generic way, then you fail. But no, I work with people, so I understand your unique ADHD, your unique challenges. Like maybe your executive function is better than mine. Your memory could be better than mine. Uh, my ability to plan is be- could be better than you. But so how can we come up with scaffolding or systems to make that happen. And one thing, like the other thing too is ADHD is we're blind to time. Hmm. When I read that, I didn't have to read more. I yeah. just, bam, I knew it. Either it's now or not now. We got two time frames. Wow. Now or not now. Yeah. Future doesn't mean anything. Two weeks from now, that's an eternity. So that's why sometimes it's like, oh crap, that's due tomorrow. I forgot about it because we're blind to time. Yeah. So then we get, hey, the brain goes, hey, dude, now we're on fire. Now it's urgent. Now there's this good challenge to get it done on time. And we hyper-focus and we can get it done. And your brain's like, woohoo, here we go. Woo-hoo. It's firing <laughs> on all cylinders. And and then the other thing, too, is the other part of time blindness is sometimes I think a two-day job is actually it could be done in four hours. That's where we get also get in trouble. It mm-hmm. takes a lot longer than we think. So we got that challenge. So That's how do we make it real? Like I got, we got to make things visible so I don't forget. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing you say, Andre, is that you've found ways to understand who you are and what you do and also structure your life in a way that, that brings that awareness of, of your ADHD to the front so that you've organized your life in a way that makes your life uh, as smooth as possible, right? Correct. Yeah, we're managing quote unquote the symptoms we're ma- we're we're managing uh, the brain's abilities yeah. uh, to do what it can and can't do yeah. right my my it's not that I failed I can't keep track of time it's just my brain's not wired that way yeah. and when when I start to say hey my brain's not that it's my brain it's not me it's not a moral failure you know I have, I've been trying for 40 years I can't do it it's my brain like you know how freeing that is and yeah. when someone says dude makes sense don't stop doing it Let's figure another way to stay on top. You know, with and being entrepreneurs, we, we can hire people. My schedule, I'm, you know, trying to reduce ways to mess up my schedule and be overbooked. Now I just don't deal with it. I gain permission if I can talk to people, hmm. right? These kind of sim- systems helps you, and you just got to trust other people to do it, yeah. right? I'm really great at getting the project. I'm really great at finding the solution to it to get it done. 
But the paperwork, the drawings, the report, oh my God. I got team members that just love to do that. They love new buildings. That's a two-year project. Wow. More than three weeks, man. I have a hard time staying involved. (laughs) Right? Well, when we met um, a few weeks ago and we had a really great conversation, I asked you the question that you get often asked, and that is, how do you know if you have ADHD? And because when we were talking, I was thinking, wow, this... What you're saying right. really kind of describes some of the struggles that I've had in my life. And you were kind enough, and we'll put this in the show notes. Okay. Um, you, you sent me a, a page of, uh, of your episodes, and I went through and listened to all of them, and it, it was just fantastic. But boy, Andre, it was such an eye-opening experience for me because uh, my next step is to get evaluated because I was that kid at the dinner table when I was little. I couldn't sit down. I stood right. up next to my chair and I would hum and mm-hmm. I would eat my dinner. And so yep. talk about distracting people. <laughs> that was me. Well, you're supposed to sit there and shut your mouth. And, <laughs> right. And, and then, you know, uh, reading. Reading has been super difficult for me. I've, I've never finished a print book in my life, cover to cover. Mm-hmm. It's audio books I can listen to all day long and podcasts and things like that. But, you know, the fact that I struggled with reading my whole life was a big one. Uh, you know, emotional... Uh, control, you know, yeah. uh, it, all that stuff, just just check, 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 check. So when people come to you and, you know, they ask that question, you know, hey, man, I, I, I may have this. You know, what, what do you tell those people? Um, well, like I told you, listen to podcasts, read some books. Uh, the one book I do recommend is called uh, I'm Not I'm Not Lazy, Stupid or uh, something like that. Oh, my God, I forget. Uh, I'm not crazy, stupid, or lazy. Something along those lines by yeah. two women, and I read that book from end to end, and it was just like I read the book thinking, "Well, I'll just backtrack a little bit." When I decided, I did some research before the life tempest that something was right. Like I'm, I'm succeeding, I'm doing everything, but I'm still not happy. I'm there's still that one little thing. I kind of say it's like a puzzle piece and a bridge. It's just one little puzzle piece missing to make it a solid bridge, mm. and right now. What is that? And that was my ADHD diagnosis. So I researched a little bit and I didn't believe it. How can one diagnosis explain my whole 44 years of my life? Right? I didn't believe it. Um, so when I was, when the psychiatrist told me to read that book, I read it. To, I was still trying to disprove his ADHD. I believed I was a bad person. I was no good. Yeah. Uh, it would be something worse. And when I read that book at the end, trying hard to disprove that I have ADHD, it was like me, me. Me, 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 me. Oh my God, me. Oh my God, crying me. Yeah. Because it wasn't like, oh, you know, in certain circumstance or whatever. It was either, it was a yes or a no. And that's when I start to realize there's something here. And the more I talk to people, I'm hearing from the podcast, he goes, this is me you're talking about. It yeah. was not, you know, it's just sometimes it's me and sometimes it's not. Yeah. And with my experience talking to people, in no way, and I, I'm, I can diagnose people, I'm not a medical professional, but just my interactions with people, it's, if they say, well, you know, at times it's this, it's dependent on that, that's not ADHD, because the one thing they do say in the literature is, like, depression, anxiety, bipolar, borderline personality disorders all have similar symptoms as ADHD. Mm-hmm. But if you, do, if you treat those other conditions... Those symptoms are gone. ADHD are always there no matter what. That's why they look for, like as an adult, it would be 
They're going to look at your work uh, environment. They're going to work at your home environment. So it's got to be consistent. It's not, you know, if it's only at home but not at school or work, mm-hmm. maybe not. It has to be at both. Yeah. And it, what's um, the so term it's always there. I've heard the term used. Is it called emotional dysregulation or what's it called? Um, I guess if the condition would be emotional yeah. dysregulation or, yeah. the, you know, it's basically emotional, a lack of emotional regulation. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when you think about if someone has that and they blow up at someone, um, there's a there's a lot of a more there, there's a moral judgment there. And it's like, oh, Andre is just a jerk. And it's like, yep. wow, you know, m- maybe Andre's not a jerk. Maybe he has a brain that that has a hard time keeping emotions in check. <laughs> so you're right. There's a lot of baggage, right? Right, a lot of baggage. A lot of ch- uh, not challenges. A lot of uh, what do you call it? Guessing on you, mm-hmm. uh, assumptions, speculation. Yeah, speculation. Um, yeah. And the thing is, ADHD is triggered. So when you get into emotional dysregulation, lack of focus inattention there's a trigger somewhere hmm. um and i was at a conference for medical doctors like i'm loving the stuff so much i'm going to medical conferences to learn right from the researchers but they say the other conditions and even i had one guy on my podcast talk about his depression like depression the mood chooses you you don't choose if you're going to be depressed or not it just decides nothing happens but with adhd if i'm going to blow off my you know start getting upset and get the emotional dysregulation, something triggered it. Hmm. So they seem like bipolar. That's not, nothing's triggered. It just, the condition causes the manic, causes the depressive. But in ADHD, it's always triggered. And that's why, for me, triggers is a huge thing. Um, I always look for the trigger because I can take care of 10 or 12 symptoms. So I even go so far as what's the trigger for me for being inattentive, for me being distracted, for me... Distracting other people, because I'm bored. <laughs> when I get bored, my pulsity is like, I'll find whatever reason not to do something because I'm avoiding something. So a lot of times you're, you're triggered. So either it's yeah. a trauma trigger or something's not right. Or if you're overwhelmed, we get overwhelmed easy. And then one person decides to put uh, another task on you that you weren't expecting. Like we like change as long as it's the change we want. Hmm. Um, then... That just adds to it. Like my youngest actually came the other day. And she's like, every day I'm holding back, being frustrated with people. Then I go home and then I explode. I don't understand. And then what I read an analogy somewhere is everyone has a pail. And that's your emotional regulation pail. Hmm. So the kids go to school. They're forced to do stuff they don't want to. They're not supposed to be mean to people. So their frustration, that emotional bucket's getting full. And when they get home... It's overflowing, and that's when the explosion, the bucket's dropped because the hole's not big enough or they don't have the skill set to to have that hole big enough or to drain off as you go during the day. And we get that sometimes, and, you know, I think it's also a limited... I don't know if we got a li- less mental energy or the same as everyone else, or we just burn through it quicker when we're not doing what we like to do, but... I really feel when I go home is I'm mentally burnt out and then I get to go home and I got the family tasks and then their ener- negative energy. And then you just, it's hard to manage it because you got that overwhelm. Yeah. And uh, so the transition times is, it's an important thing. Like I used to have before kids mm-hmm. go home, relax, have 15, 20 minutes. And now there's a rule when I go home, just leave me alone for about 15 minutes. Yeah. So I can go change, read a few things just so I can get out of work, mm. 
into home mo- mo- uh, mode and get that transition. And even to the point that the kids are starting to realize they need that. Yeah. But we communicate it. That's so by being educated about ADHD and understanding your ADHD, is now you got a, a, a vocabulary. You're able to communicate. Hey, you know what? Sorry, but that triggers me and it frustrates me. And I tell my people, like, if you walk in the office and I don't say hi, don't take offense to that. Because that means I'm hyper-focusing, and I know if I stop to say hi, I, it's going to be another half hour before I can get back into it. So I'm not distracting myself. Hmm. Um, and I actually did a short on that. But, you know, sorry, like my wife was getting upset I was in the same bye every morning. But that means my, my head was already at work. Yeah, yeah. So there's stuff like that. And then my kids are actually learning the vocabulary to explain to their friends and their teachers. Andre, I want to talk more about ADHD in the workplace because, you know, our podcast Beats Working is dedicated to redeeming work, making, you know, the workplace better for everyone, right? Yeah. So um, let's talk first about what's your best advice to employers who may have ADHD employees. And I guess before we get to that, should you tell your boss um, if you've been diagnosed with ADHD? Is that something you recommend or does it just depend on the relationship that you have with your boss? That is very, very tough for me to answer because I've only had one real job. And I've been on my own since 2007. Um, so it's very tough for me to recommend that because it's, I think the most, the majority of the problem is it's misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, everyone goes on TikTok and, and they become the experts on it. Um, and there's still a lot of misunderstanding that can come into, a lot of people still think it's you're just lazy, you don't want to try. Um, so it's, it's very tough. Depends on if you're in a corporate world or a small company. Like for me, I got a kid here who, uh, you know, we interviewed him. I had my assumptions, but a month in, he felt comfortable to say, come up to me and say, hey, I have anxiety. I'm taking medication. Because he was nodding on and off in the meeting. And it wasn't normal. Like, it didn't make sense that it was, I didn't think that was the kid. So I pulled him aside and said, hey, this was happening. And it kind of looks bad. And he came to me a few days later and said, you know what? I have anxiety. I change meds. And that was one of the side effects we're still coming up. But I've got an environment that's comfortable and safe to come talk about that. So if you're in an environment that's not safe, maybe, maybe not. And sometimes, depending what part of the world you are, even maybe talking to a lawyer might be um, beneficial because if they start discriminating against you on it, um, then you might have a case. But it's just misunderstood because the thing is, Mark, if if you're if you're de- if I'm depressed, I can explain to you what depression feels like. You get that. That pr- the other person can understand anxiety. They can understand depression, but no one can understand what the ADHD brain is going and doing. Like, how can I explain to make you understand and feel that, I, like that idea, or I forgot everything because of my short-term working memory, yeah. or just being inattentive. Like, if something distracts me from our conversation and it holds me a little too long, what were we talking about the last twenty minutes? No one can feel it. That's why when people are saying, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, they get it. And we can't explain that for other people to be completely aware or having, I think a lot of people want to feel like, feel your pain, um, but we can't explain it enough with the ADHD because my, my, my young, my oldest daughter quite a few years ago was explaining to my wife who's neurotypical, like she was getting in trouble at school. And she was trying to explain to my wife, and my wife was, I don't understand what you're talking about, that's not a problem. So I just thought I'd pull my daughter over, I put, and when the shop started explaining stuff, and what she was trying to explain was the impulsivity 
So I said, okay, stop explaining. So I bet you a bunch of listeners, you may, if, if you go, holy crap, you know, it might be a sign, but it was like, okay, so in your head you went, hey, it'd be funny to put my no- finger up that person's nose. And then, crap, my finger's in her nose. <laughs> and my daughter goes, exactly. I said, yep, that's the impulsivity. There's no in-between. Yeah. The impulsivity is just go. There's no filter to say, hey, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe you should hold back. It's just, boom, ah, man, that's not right. Yeah. So, man, as you're talking, you know, I'm just having flashbacks. You know, when I was in school, I just can't even count the number of times that a teacher would say, Mr. Wright, Mr. Wright, Mr. Wright. And I was on Mars. I'm looking out oh, the yeah. window. Yeah. And I am like a million miles away. And then I would come back, oh, huh? Are you with us? And I was like, oh, uh, oh, sorry. And what's so sad about all this stuff, Andre, is that when these behaviors exhibit, when, when you know people notice these behaviors, there's almost always a judgment. If I'm talking to you and you don't pay attention to me, mm-hmm. I translate that to mean you're disrespecting me. And right. you don't care about what I'm saying. When that's, that's how we were raised, right? Right, right. So all of these behaviors usually have some sort of judgment. If we're talk, if our wife's talking to us, husband, yeah. spouse, whatever, and yeah. and then ten, you know half a minute in, oh, uh, what was it? What were you saying? They're like, this is important. Why aren't you listening to me? And I'm like, I, you know, it, it really puts us back on our heels. And and I think it must have been a really freeing thing for you to finally understand. This is a medical diagnosis, and it's it's how your brain yeah, works. Yeah, and it's neurological. It's yeah. not like it's it's broken. It's just yeah. the way it's wiring. Yeah, it's just the. I wiring. feel like we just need to just get that message out, and thank God you're doing your podcast. But get that message out that before we jump to judgment, maybe well, take a step. Don't get back. me started on that. Go you ahead. know, just take a step back, like you did with your with your worker, your employee. Yeah. Instead of just judging him, hey man, you said, hey, I noticed this. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And and it led you down a really positive path. That's because I respect other people's uniqueness. Everyone's got a unique way of doing things, their own strengths to do things. It's great that these people, my these people, sorry, my my team here, they love to do the stuff I hate to do, hmm. and I respect that, and I let them do it their way. Why can't we do it our own way? Why do I have? Why do I have to be forced upon to do something in a way that's going to make me frustrated or take me ten times more? Because like. The answer's right there. I know it. Let's get to it. And just to go back, your example there, like you're, you're, you're in dreamland, right? That is a classic inattentive ADHD. So ADHD, we've got, two, we've got three kinds. We've got your physically hyperactive, your inattentive, which is more in your head, uh, dream, and then combined is a mix of the two. Hmm. So what you have there, that's a classic example, which I think a lot of people will be like, oh my God, that is me. And because you're, it's just, you're gone. It's not that you're not doing anything. You're, you're in your own world. You're thinking, you're, you're figuring something and out. And it's usually a pretty cool place. <laughs> right. Because where you are right now is boring as hell. <laughs> right. So why are you being the smart ass kid or why are you being the bad kid for not paying attention when me as the teacher is making a boring environment for them? <laughs> right. Or the employer or a presenter. Right. So to go back to the work about what the employer can do with the ADHD, um, for me, I've been a big advocate. I've been fighting this since I was a kid. Let people be who they are. And what I like to do is to find out how people tick. 
What makes you tick? What makes you happy? What ticks you off? And why does it tick you off? So I use different assessments here so I understand what their abilities are, how they solve problems, why they solve problems, and what they prefer to spend their time on. And we try to work with that. And like for me, I don't like following a set path or like bureaucracies drive me nuts. You give me a list of 20 or a procedure of 20 steps, I'm probably going to do it in six or eight because probably a bunch of them are a waste of time. But if I go do that with my team, I keep changing the way we're going to do things. And they don't like that. Once we've set a path, leave me alone. And I've learned that. So I stay out. Once they got an idea where they're going to go, I'm out. Until they hit a a road or hit a wall that they can't figure out to go around. Now I jump in. They got a new path. They're happy. I leave. And everyone understands each other's role. And that's where, if you can understand how your ADHD employee works, where they're going to be able to keep their attention and their interest, feed that. What are their abilities? Filling out mundane paperwork is not a preferred brain thing. It's just, it's going to take a long time. So to focus, the focus takes more energy. And, you know... These types of things, what if they're not doing well on certain tasks, but maybe they can say, "Hey, maybe someone else can do it for them," and they could take on something from someone else. And you know, let's compromise or find find tasks and rules or roles that fits the person. And I'm now I'm not just talking about ADHD people; just anyone in general. Yeah. What you know, figure these people out their uniqueness, and you need a team of unique people to get the overall project done when everyone can have a good time. You mentioned you really love understand understanding what makes people tick, and uh, you are well-versed in the Colby Index, and I think you're even certified in Colby. Yep, certified since 2014, and I harass Kathy Colby all the time in her master classes. <laughs> Andre, for people who don't know what that assessment is, talk about Colby and why you think that's important, especially in the workplace. Um, well, the one thing is, you know, personality assessments to me is a swear word, Um and there's a lot out there. And those assessments, basically you tell it what you think you are. And then you say, oh, yeah, that is me because you believe that's what you told the, 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 the assessment. Hmm. But what the Colby here is what I call a talent and strength assessment. It's when you, you were born this way or by five years old, this is how you solved problems. Um, this is how you do things. Um, once you have the motivation, so and there's four action modes. You got your fact finder is how you use and share information. Your follow through is how you systematize and organize yourself. Three is quick start is how you assess risk and uncertainty. And then implementer is how you handle tangible and real space. Okay. So in each of those action modes, there's three strength areas. You got your initiating means that's where you start and you do a lot of. And then you got the middle ones called the co-acting so it's moderating it's kind of like a balancing energy mm-hmm. and then you've got your co-act which is it's another term is resistance so what you will do a little bit less so like let's go with the fact finder initiating a fact finder like me i want a lot of details and i can sit down and get a lot of details up front i want a lot mm-hmm. first before i go onto my next modes and these are one through ten right so what's your colby score the first number? mine's an i'm an eight two five five so i'm an eight fact finder okay so you need a lot of facts I, I, I need a lot of facts. Yeah. It's not like a, it's, I want, I wish. Those, that's a personality thing. These are things I need. 
So if I'm going to go on, start a project with very little information, it bugs me. Mm-hmm. I will try and find ways to get the detail. So the person who's co-acting on the other end of the scale, they're just bottom liners. You just give them three pieces of information. That's all they need to get going. And if I bo- and I can easily bore those people out with too much information, mm-hmm. right? Because the way I receive information, I want to share the same amount too. And then the, the middle one, uh, the co-act, is they're very good at explaining things. So they summarize, right? So, and if you got that person in the room between a fact finder, initiating fact finder and a co-acting fact finder, they'll pull out more details from the co-actor for the initiating and they'll actually ask the initiating to, what are the important ones for the other person, right? Hmm. So on your follow-through, your initiating follow-through is very systematized. They'll create systems. Um, if there are none, if they have system, they will follow it to a T. Even if they know there's three steps in there that are repetitive, they will do it because the system says so. Um, and we need people like that because that's how stuff gets done. Yeah. Tell me your the score same again, way Andre. every time. Pardon me? Put, My, tell me. I'm in 8255. 8255. So, uh, super big fact finder, not uh, follow through is not your thing. No. And uh, then quick start and implementer, you're, you're right in the middle there. Right in the yeah. middle. So with my two follow-through, so I co-act, it's not that I don't need a lot of system, it's just that I, I can change paths frequently. I don't need to follow the same path every time. I can jump. I can work on multiple things. While well, the initiating follow-through would prefer to work on one right to the end, or at least get to a point where they can jump off and know where to go back. And me, it could be whatever, just all over the place. That's why with my team, once the path is set, I need to get out of the way because I come up every day with a different way of doing it quicker. Yeah. So we shortcut. We'll find quicker ways to doing it. It's not that we don't want to do a good job. It's a good job. It's just we're saving time. Boy, I bet once you know people's Colby scores and you're in a big meeting and you know everybody's Colby score, it must be just such, um, you're operating at such a higher level because you you know how they think and act, right? I know how to communicate to them. I'll know how to manage them. I'll know how to get information out of them. Yeah. Um, so like even a, a resistant or a co-acting fact finder, they, they always say, oh, I don't have enough details. I don't know that much. But I pull out more information to satisfy my fact finder. I pull it out and they don't realize it, hmm. right? So for me to go in at a planning meeting with my follow through, not a good idea if they need to, to, to organize a really big project. Um, and then with the quick start, your initiating quick start, they're really risk averse. They are willing to try and fail, try and fail, try and fail to get that one success. So the one analogy I like to use is an initiating quick start can be told 100 times where to go on a cold call. But call 101, they got the sale. Wow, they have a party. Hmm. While someone who's a co-acting quick start who wants to manage and reduce chaos all they're going to remember is I was told off a hundred times to get one sale. Uh, not fun because they don't know what's going to happen. And then the person in the middle, like for me, my five is, is we're really good at experimenting and modifying. Hmm. So, and then with the five is right in the middle. And this is what throws people off. I don't do anything until someone from the other side of four or six or beyond will do something. Cause I will not do anything until an opposing like, so if an initiating comes to me towards me, I'm going to start to balance the energy and kind of maintain chaos a little bit. And if someone who's a, a co-acting quick start shows up, I'll try and push the, you know, be a little more initiating just so that, hey, let's try different things. 
but I don't do anything. If you're a four or five, you lean towards one or the other and you kind of do something in the, along those lines. But my five, I won't do anything. Some people think, oh, you're a quick start one day and the other day you're not. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, my scores the, are, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, what, no, what is your score? My score is a 6383. Six three eight three. All right, yeah. I'll finish off with implementer. I'll give you a quick insight about yours. Yeah. So the implementer is how you handle tangible and real space. So mm. the, the I'll start with the coact. That's the conceptual. People who's a one to three, they're really good at figuring things out in their head. They can see things in their head. An implement, an initiating implementer cannot see things in their head. They need models. They need to touch it. They solve problems by touching and feeling. So, you know, car mechanics. Uh, we can, someone who's conceptual can say, you know, it's carburetor because of this, this, this. And the implementing mechanic goes, nah, I'm not too sure. But they'll go, and as long as they touch, they go here, they can follow the trail, test this, test. Yeah, that is the carburetor. Hmm. But they have to touch it and feel it. Yeah. And they're really good at demonstrating things. So, you know, how to use a car, how to use a photocopier. You have them demonstrate because they'll physically do it. And for them to learn, let them do it. Let them do the touching because that's how they'll remember. Yeah. And then the, the co-acting implementer is we're right in the middle where we restore. So for me in the construction side, I'm really good because I, I'm an interpreter between the theoretical engineers and the hands-on contractors. I can make it real for them. I can make it conceptual for the other guys or the other people. And, and it's a nice balance that way. So you do things in a certain order depending on your MO and the four numbers. Mm -hmm. And this is how you do it. And as long as you do it your way, you're, it's going to be fine. So for me to say, hey, uh, Mark, here's three pieces of information. Um, go with the project. You're going, well, no, I need more information, a little more information to get going. Hmm. Um, but in actual fact, what's going to happen, you're actually going to start with your eight quick start. You're going to come up with different ideas. You're going to see what kind of risk. The other thing, too, is for you, you're never going to do it. Um, on time, or actually, you're not going to do any work ahead of time. You're going to wait to the last minute. That's a quick start thing. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Because you like quick starts like the urgency. So that, that's and then you throw the ADHD on top of that, and then that amplifies it. Yeah, for one, right? Um, but as, the ADHD aside, you're going to come up with different ways of doing it. You're going to come up with probably two thousand different ways of doing it, <laughs> um, and then figure out that a lot of it's not good, um, and then go get more information. Now you're going to fact find. Yeah. Okay. And then you're going to see if there's an existing system you can follow. And if you do, then you're going to maintain. Like the six uh, follow-throughs, you maintain systems. Hmm. So you're going to follow it. Maybe not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but you're going to maintain it and just get it done. And you're conceptual. So with your quick start, you're going to be doing more conceptual solutions. So your three is your last one. So you're going to conceptually come up with solutions. Hmm. You don't have to build a model to prove it or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And just to go back to the urgency thing, so if I know this project will only take you two days, but I know it's got to be done in two weeks, someone who's a, a co-acting quick start, I'll tell them right now you have two weeks, especially if they're a long follow-through, because hmm. they're going to plan it out. They're going to need the two weeks. But for you, I probably won't tell you till three days before. <laughs> That's how I'll manage you. Yeah, yeah. I'll sit on it and have a notice it. Now give him the job three days before, now it's got to be three days. Your MO, like your, your mental energy is going to go on fire because it suits your MO. Yeah. And, you know, for 35 years, I was a journalist and, you know, fact finding. I, I, I loved 
learning the why. And so yeah. often, if someone said, hey, we're going to do this, like this is a new initiative at work we're going to do, my first question is, how, how come we're doing this? I, I need to know what, what's the motivation right. for this? Why are we doing this? Right. And, and I would go down that path. And once I had enough info, I'm like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, or, that's your fact-finding. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why. Yeah, and it's amazing. So, like, if I'm going to try and force you to slow down and calm down and come up with all the minimize your risk, that's going against your grain. Yeah. That's, you know, you're not going to work to your best self. But at the same time, too, if you've got team members, like most offices have, they're very big on co-acting quick starts. So you in a room with co-acting quick starts, there's a polarization there. And people are just saying, you, you know, you're reckless, you don't follow the rules, and then you're disrupting the apple cart. Well, it, you are. You're an eight quick start. So understanding that, that there's a difference between, um, you know, not, and it's kind of like now I said, you don't, Mark, don't brainstorm with this group of people. <laughs> brainstorm with this group. And then when you guys got your ideas and you whittled it down, now bring it to that group. Yeah. Right. Or at least say, OK, here goes Mark. He's going to use this quick start. We're just going to sit back and wait till it's done. That's understanding each other and respecting each other. Yeah. And then when they say, well, I don't think that's going to work. You just don't want to say, oh, you're poo-pooing on my ideas again. No, that's a fact finder thing. That's yeah. a resistant quick start thing. <laughs> right. Or like I'll tell you, like my engineering manager, I almost fired him because he couldn't figure my sketches out. I thought he was dumb. He was an idiot. Now I got his Colby. He's a seven implementer. So now when I go to site, I got to take 200 pictures <laughs> rather than five because I need five. Why do I need the 200 pictures? So he can see it from all angles because it's going to take him time to make it real. Wow. So I got to just that. Hey, dude, here's a project. I'm going to give you time now for you to figure out when she made it real and understand it. And then we continue the conversation. He's one of my best employees now. He's my engineering manager. Yeah. That's so, awesome. That's such that's, a such a great way that you've taken Colby and 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 made it work. Made it work in in the workplace. Yeah, and then for me, I'm seeing the difference between all the different modes and ADHD. Yeah. So how it can be amplified or how it actually can cause some, you know, my two fall throughs completely supports my impulsivity, but actually amplifies it to be more problematic. Hmm. My oldest daughter, she's a seven follow through. So in a way, it tampers, tampens it down because she needs to be organized, but her ADHD is trying to push the limits. So it's helping her keep a structure. So I'm seeing all these connections here, and by knowing the MO, I can help structure, help you structure systems to make it work according to your MO. And, uh, you know, and for one, everyone says ADHD, we have a hard time with motivation. I don't think it's a lack of motivation. It's interest and motivation are two different things. And the print, the why of you is another assessment tool that identifies your two subconscious motivators. And if those are those two motivators are tickled, you're in your best self and you shine. But if you're triggered and you're not working in those motivators, you're in your shadow self. Hmm. So understanding your two unconscious motivators, if we can stay there as much as we can, then you got all the motivation in the world. And it makes or break where you, what you should be pursuing because we do differently. Yeah. What's that and, assessment called again? Uh, the print, the why of you. Okay. By the Paul Hertz group. Okay. Um, and I'm getting certified on that because that's just a, it's an eye opener. It's fantastic, and um, it's a, it's 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 a way to try to understand your triggers and how to stay out of beha- uh, shadow self. Hmm. You're you're going to get into it. 
but it's about understanding and being aware of it and how to get out of it as quickly as possible. That's what I like about it. Yeah. Well, Andre, I feel like we could talk for another hour. Um, Are we done now? Oh, wow. Well, as we start to wind down, I just have a couple more questions. <laughs> I'll I try to keep it short. It's, this has been really fascinating, man. I appreciate it. Um, what's the biggest thing you hope to change when it comes to how ADHD is perceived and dealt with in the workplace? ADHD is just different wiring, meaning people do things differently, and it's okay. And utilize that strength that they have. How can we utilize the difference that ADHD brings or autism, which I, I'm also on the spectrum, or what skills can that person bring and let them be in there? Stop trying to force people to do things they're not good at or not wired to be. And that's ADHD, non-ADHD. I'm just there and says, let's understand each other and value each other's differences and use those differences to everyone's benefit. That's my thing. And if it, those things are being pushed, that really frustrates me and gets me very upset because it's wrong to tell people they can't do things that they're damn good at. So the podcast is called Beats Working, Winning the Game of Work. What do you think the key is to winning the game of work? Um, winning work is to achieve a goal that you set and you did it in your own way. And you are allowed to do it in your own way and be supported by it and, um, and um, uh, acknowledged for it. Yeah. What part of your work life, Andre, never felt like? work or career what, what part just felt fun dealing with customers in the construction site when there's a problem uh, the interaction with people like here right now um, and just realizing that my quick thinking is what's valued out there even though it doesn't feel like work but that's the value out there and I make people comfortable and I make everyone acknowledge each other's uh, different abilities and I'm able to explain to people why the electrician is saying what they're saying to a mechanical person or to a concrete person. It's not just difficult. It's just their language is different. And just get, I guess it's a, a harmonious. Just understand each other, people, and stop yelling at each other. <laughs> you know what I think is fascinating about your life story is that you are in a massive period of self-discovery right now that started a number of years ago and I, I feel like I'm learning things about myself that I haven't ever really realized before and you know if you could go back in time and give 20 year old Andre one piece of advice what would that be just keep doing what you think is right it'll work out in the end hmm. it's not an easy road but it'll work out in the end well, Andre, it's been fantastic talking with you. And again, your podcast is uh, is doing such good in the world. It's called The Impulsive Thinker. It's on all the platforms. And uh, man, I've learned a ton from it. And I just think the message that you're getting out into the world to to redeem work, as as especially, um, I think is just really admirable. And it takes courage and it, it takes tenacity. And uh, I really want to say thanks for that, man. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the acknowledgement. And I also like what you guys are doing about changing. You know, work is not a, a four-letter word. It's not a swear <laughs> word. I enjoy work. I'll keep doing it. Um, but just with my new knowledge with the ADHD is take more time for me um, is also as important. Um, but I got to keep my juices, my mental game going. If not, I get bored, and that's when I get in trouble. Yeah. 
Well, this has been fun. Andre Brisson, thanks so much, man. Thank you very much. Take care, everyone. I'm Mark Wright. Thanks for listening to Beats Working, part of the Work P2P family. New episodes drop every Monday. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Special thanks to show producer and web editor Tamar Medford. In the coming weeks, you'll hear from our Contributors Corner and Sidekick Sessions. Join us next week for another episode of Beats Working, where we are winning the game of work.